love. You're listening to Michael Zalba's podcast, which shows my unfiltered, unscripted, and genuine thoughts about things going on in the entertainment world today. This week I am by myself, and I talk about numerous things. Um, I'm going to start a weekly series about my Oscar predictions. I'm really passionate about that, and I'm going to keep that focus. Um, I'm going to start it and then maybe update it every week, and I'll keep it the same. Then speaking, start with that uh, usually, and then I'm going to have some heavy-hitting topics. I'm going to be talking about blonde and exploring that, dissecting it, seeing what works and doesn't, and then. We're going to be looking at three films with uh, similar themes about dealing with white lies. And uh, finally, we're going to talk about some films I've watched. We're going to give little reviews. Alright, I hope you guys enjoy. So please, step into my office. Hello! It's good to be on my own. For the first time in a bit, I've been dealing with stuff and focusing on life. I've been doing other things, and I finally have a podcast by myself. And this week, I'm super excited because I'll be by myself, and I'll be talking about things that had on my mind for a bit. And I want to audiate and orate into the world. Um, I finally put that into words and put it on the record. Of what I think about these things. And first, it's been a while since I've done this, but uh, this is a weekly series that I'm going to be doing, and it is my Oscar predictions. I'm going to go into my predictions of what I think is going to happen in the Oscars. I could be very wrong. I don't have the best uh, accuracy when it comes to these predictions um, because I've just recently gotten to it, and sometimes I share opinions of other people who are predicting Oscars. So I kind of want to be different here. And um, maybe I want to be different, or maybe I'm just going on what my heart says instead of what should be right and not listening to what other pundits say. So first up, we're going to get out the, the big one out of the way. Uh, best picture. Starting at number one, uh, I'm going to go with women talking. Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Babylon, Fablemans, Avatar with the Way of the Water, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, The Banshees, Venetian, All Quiet on the Western Front, and Pinocchio. And this will repeat for the rest of the categories. I'm going to talk about my picks, why I put them there, and why they're in the spot they are. I mean, I won't go super in depth like, oh, this is five because it's like this. Um, it won't be that in depth but uh generally speaking that's what it's going to be for every category um and i won't do this every week i won't get this in depth every week unless something changes unless something changes i won't go in depth about it i won't go in depth about it. so uh, why do i have women talking at number one well i have women talking at number one because it follows the pattern we've been seeing with previous Best Picture winners. First off, it is a 
film that is directed by somebody who's never been nominated at the Oscars. Uh, that's been a, a a trend since 2018, and um, it might break. This trend might break this year. We don't know because we saw what happened with Coda last year, and trends broke there. But generally, it followed that trend of first time or uh, up and coming filmmakers or filmmakers who've never been nominated at the Oscars to win. Um, secondly, it is a woman led film. For the past few years, since 2020, since uh, which was No Man Land, uh, we've had uh, a woman led film win. And we'll continue that trend. And also, it's talking about timely subjects, and usually the Oscars will do that. What is the what is a film that is relevant to times? Um, that's generally what they've always kind of done. Coda wasn't super relevant to the times, like maybe Power of the Dog was, which was the runner-up. But it's timely because we kind of needed something easy after the hard year we had in 2020 and 2021 with the pandemic and the results of the pandemic and all the things that happened in 2021. We needed something easy. Uh, I think that was the sentiment. Now with everything that's going on with women's uh, rights and what's going on with women, and that is such a topic right now, I think it is something that's going to be brought up and I think that is going to be relevant and that's why it's going to win. And also here, it's not as heavy as we think it is. It's not as heavy. It's funny and it's kind of a crowd pleaser. So a crowd pleasing drama, I think, will be a good enough reason as to why it wins. And a lot of people say it's like one of the best films of the year with an excellent script. Um, it has the acting. So we got two people we think are possibly going to get in, maybe a third person. We, had, we kind of know for sure that that uh, Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley had been getting buzz surrounding them. There's been a lot of buzz surrounding them. So we got acting nominees. And people have been saying the script is one of the best of the year. One of the best, one of the best of the year, if not the best screenplay of the year, and um, people have been talking about Sarah Polly's direction. They've been praising that, and it's short. It's a short film, so accessible. It's not as inaccessible as we think. Um, so I think it has all those things to catapult it to the top, right there, and then after that. Um, we have our, my second choice, the runner-up. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, that's a film that has a lot of love for it. Um, I think it's going to stay strong all year, and it could easily just win. It could easily just as win. It has all the passion in the world for it. People love it to death. Um, I think it's one of the greatest films of all time. That's my personal opinion. It's funny. It's weird. It's emotional. I think the emotion is what people are going to remember it for. And it's unique concept. Um, it's just it's such a unique and creative film. It's what people have been wanting for such a long time. And again, people love it. There's a passion behind it. 
And then after this, these are kind of the ones that are going to get nominated. I have Babylon after that, as I said. It's Damien Chazelle. It's crazy. It's like another newer version of Wolf of Wall Street. And it's like a love of a time of old. And it's just crazy. And Damien Chazelle uh, has only missed Best Picture once, but his film got a lot of nominations at the Oscars first man. But this looks more in line with something like La La Land or uh, not Babylon Whiplash because it's just crazy. It's energetic. It's fast paced. It's just a lot. And it's supposed to be an epic and, it's, and people are saying it's his masterpiece, which is really hard to say when he's just such a talented filmmaker. And also the acting is going to probably be excellent. And I've heard thing, people talk about this gameplay because it leaked and it, uh, it's crazy. It's just a lot of things are happening. So I don't think people are going to forget about it. And it's being released at such a prime time around end of December. So people are going to remember it. And I think that's why it's getting in here. Uh, the Fablemans, uh, it's a, it's possibly a front runner right now. It's Spielberg. And that's Spielberg. And he's talking about his love for cinema and film. And it's semi-autobiographical. And it's emotional. It's, people say it's like one of his best. Um, and they just it's all the things that Spielberg does. Best? Of course it's going to get it. And now, the next one I have is Avatar The Way of the Water. And the reason why I'm getting that in is because uh, James Cameron does not miss when it comes to getting in at the Oscars. They love him. And generally, people highly regard his films. Maybe not as much as Avatar or The Descent, but Titanic and and Terminator 2 and Aliens. Generally speaking, people love when he makes movies. They love him. They love it. Um, and he also said he actually tried this time. He actually tried to focus on making a, a better story and a better screenplay compared to Avatar. So he's worked on this for a while. I think it's going to blow us all away. And I think we're going to, people who are doubting this movie didn't even nominate it are going to be eating their words. I just feel it. Don't doubt James Cameron. After that, we have Tar. This is probably going to be the critic's favorite that gets in. I mean, I think there are multiple critics' favorites on here, but this is the critics' favorite gets in. Um, I just saw it. I'll have a review for that later, but I totally understand. Um, it, a lot of feelings is, could get in. The screenplay could get in. It could get nominated for um, sound or, or uh, get some acting uh, nods in there. But for sure, Kate Blanchett is in the discussion for winning, winning Best Actress. And so that puts him in a real good position for getting into Best Picture. Everybody loves it. Everybody loves it. It's highly rated when it stayed that way. It's not as inaccessible as the trailer has made it out to be. It's just slow. But that does not mean it's not inaccessible. It's just slow, but doesn't mean it's not interesting. Not like intriguing it doesn't mean it's not inaccessible. Again, inaccessible is not a synonym for this film. So yeah, and then Top Gun Maverick 
this is the the film that is the highest grossing best picture nominee but it's also one of the highest grossing, if not the highest grossing film of the year um and usually they do that and everybody loves this everybody critics audiences everybody everybody loves top gun maverick how can you not so it's gonna get in banshees and is here and this is building a lot of love with the critics and i think with audiences audiences are going to really like it it's martin mcdonough he's had a bunch of success um in bruges got a nomination uh for best original screenplay which is his best but then three billboards they had a lot more awards than expected and could have won as well as a runner-up in 2017 for three billboards and this people say it's his best yet so this is going to get in people love it people love it it's going to get a bunch of acting stuff it's going to get screenplay it could possibly i think it was score or something like that it could get a bunch of other nominations now the bottom two these bottom two generally speaking some people say there's like three opening up like three the bottom two is where it gets like muddy um uh, people would say oh um you could have the whale here, or she said. The whale, or she said, in here. But, oh no, I don't have those. I have two Netflix films. What are those Netflix films? I have All Quiet on the Western Front and Pinocchio. And the main reason, Pinocchio, uh, well, the main reason that, sorry, the main reason behind that is because Netflix always gets two in. If not two, at least one. They're just a bit of campaigning. And Pinocchio's been getting a lot of praise, and people are like, "Ooh, watch out! It could get, it could get some stuff. It could get some stuff." And then enough of those nominations could catapult it to Best Picture. And with ten slots, that's is absolutely possible. Um, and then we were all quiet on the Western Front. Uh, we've been having a trend as of late. Thank uh, the Lord that we've been having this trend since 2018, I believe. But we've been having a trend as of late that a foreign film, an international feature film, will get nominated to Best Picture. And I think All Quiet on the Western Front will do that. People are saying it's going to be Decision to Leave. I don't think so. I feel like All Quiet's a lot more accessible to English-speaking critics and American critics. It's a war film. It's been nominated before at Best Picture and won. One last time, and I think people are gonna come back to it. And I think it's gonna come back to it, and people are gonna love it. I think people are gonna love it when it comes out on Netflix. So those are my best picture nominations. Moving on to the best director, we have Sarah Polly for Women Talking, Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, Damon Chazelle for The Babylon, James Cameron Avatar: Way of Water, and Park Chan Wook for Decision to Leave. I feel like it's going to be a Best Picture director package. I feel like that's what it's going to be this year. Um, they could also split it, which I'll get into later. Um, I think Sarah Paul is going to win because Women Talking is winning. That's my prediction. I feel like they're just going to give it to her for that reason. Uh, after, up next, the splitting. This is what I'm talking about with the splitting. Is Steven Spielberg for The Fablements. Um, I feel like they're just like, we, we got to get Spielberg is second Oscar for directing because he's Spielberg, you know? And then Chazelle, Chazelle is probably, uh, basically these bottom three, these people could miss. These people could miss. 
Um, I think, but I think James Cameron is more secure. Damien Chazelle. I'm going to change that. Damien Chazelle or, or Park Jung Wook. But um, going back to Damien Chazelle. Damien Chazelle is just, he's just an incredible filmmaker. And I think since he's doing so much here, they just can't help recognize that. Same thing with James Cameron. James Cameron does not miss director anytime he's up there. He does not miss director. He just, he just doesn't. So, and I think the what we're going to see in Avatar Way of the Water is going to prove that. And I think they're going to just have to nominate. They could also just call a freaking uh, Denis Villeneuve. You know, they could just not nominate him. Because even though he's doing a whole lot in the film, they could just not, you know. And then finally, we have Park Chan-wook. Uh, this could go to Todd Field. This could go to the Daniels. I don't have the Daniels there because I feel like they're just going to snub them for some odd reason for somebody like Carl Chan-wook or like James Cameron or like Damien Chazelle. I feel like they're going to do that. Same thing with Todd Field. I feel like Todd Field isn't going to get in because he's probably going to get everywhere else but not the Oscars some odd reason. Maybe he does because they love Todd Field. But Park Chan-wook is going to be that foreign director that has a lot of respect and this is just a way of like recognizing that director of finally saying we appreciate your work appreciate you but this is just that happy to be there have a nomination finally not finally we still have more we still have more to go <laughs> after that we have best actress my five are daniel del deadweiler for kill kate blanchett for tar margot robbie for babylon sell yo for everything everywhere all at once Olivia Coleman, Empire of Light. Um, I've only seen two of these uh, candidates right here, these nominees. I've only seen two. Some people have seen four of these nominees, and nobody's seen uh, Margot Robbie and Babylon, except maybe some test screeners. But uh, generally speaking, nobody's seen Margot Robbie yet, so we don't know. But I've had a feeling for a long time Daniel De De what? Danielle Deadweiler is going to win. Uh, just somebody, the Oscar experts brought it up. And I just feel like she's going to win. Uh, some people have said it like, yeah, the Oscars can't resist a performance like this. They just can't do it. They just can't resist it. And I just got a good feeling about her. I just got a really good feeling. And it'd be nice to see a person of color win the award that truly deserve it people some people are saying it's the best acting they've seen in a long time and i think deadwire is the type of actress the caliber of actress to pull off a incredible performance and steal the nomination so that we have kate blanchett and tar i've seen kate blanchett um but i'm just going off what other people say it's probably some of her best work and it's a performance uh that just it's mesmerizing from again from this what other people are saying i've seen it i may be using my own words here but it's just a performance and she's there the whole time and she carries she carries tar on her back so there's that uh margot robbie and babylon um for uh, back to kate planchette they might want to give her a third oscar just because she's kate planchette and then margot robbie's nominated for babylon they, she's doing a lot and they might want to give her the win because she's overdue same thing with Michelle Young, she's overdue, but she's incredible. Like it's a role perfect for her, and the interview she's doing, she's doing some hard campaigning, 
she seems like she she's really attached to this role and she's really campaigning hard and everybody loves her she has a lot of respect in the in the industry like how can you not you know how can you not give her a nomination at all possibly the win as well and finally olivia coleman and for like don't doubt olivia coleman we were doubting i was doubting and other people were doubting olivia coleman for the lost daughter and she got in and then people were doubting her for the father would she get in um and then the film happened people are doubting her now i just say don't doubt it yeah, i think also this is a test to see is she the next meryl streep but also just don't doubt her and then we have best actor this is a it's uh it's not as competitive as best actress and best supporting actress but we still have kind of like three people three people that are kind of like confirmed and some people dropped out uh, brendan fraser is winning i think he is winning uh, people who aren't even paying attention to the oscars or aren't even paying attention to the race are in full support behind brendan fraser they love his story his narrative he has and i think he's gonna have that narrative to the wind he's gonna push that narrative to the wind he's not even doing much campaigning anyway he's not um just by being there people love him and people love his performance saying it's one of the best of the year and i've read the play and totally this is perfect for brendan fraser it's perfect it's perfect uh colin farrell is next for banshees of initiation this is an overdue nomination and also some people are saying he's better than brendan fraser because the role is a lot more written a lot better and it's richer and he's overdue for both an oscar win nomination and win so there's that austin butler he's people are still talking about him people love him people love his performance in elvis and he's what makes elvis as what it is he people love elvis because of austin butler and then this is where it gets muddy this is where it's very open uh if sony pictures sony pictures classic are desperate enough they could get both bill nye and hugh jackman in the sun i thought hugh jackman in the sun was going to win but there's been mixed reactions generally speaking it's a bit more leaning toward yeah he's great hugh jackman's great some people say he's cast he can miss entirely but i think there's enough support i think people were like yeah he'll just be the right and like great to be nominated some people don't like that but i think they're but bill nye for living is one of those like he's overdue time to recognize him but again the bottom four and five are kind of open we could see tom cruise because they love top gun maverick so much we could see diego calva for babylon we could see son king ho surprise for broker which would be a delight to get it but that's my and then supporting actress jesse buckley for women talking and claire foy for women talking hong chow for the whale Terry condon from the banshees of inishiran and dolly de leon for the triangle of sadness um you know uh this one i'm not so sure about it could literally go to almost anybody um anybody it could go to anybody anybody could win anybody could and anybody can get nominated this is such a competitive field just like supporting that i mean best actress um uh there could be a vote split 
between Jesse Buckley and Claire Foy of like who's better, who's better? We don't know. We don't know. I think we think we're both they're both great, and they could not win. I think Jesse Buckley could just get herself to the win. Like people say, Claire Foy has the more Oscar-y scenes, while Jesse Buckley has some quieter moments. Um, but the quietness could get catapult Jesse Buckley to the victory because people are hot for Jesse Buckley right now. People are hot for her. And also Claire Foy gets that overdue nomination. Hong Chow, I've read the play and I've read the play. Uh, Hong Chow for The Whale. Uh, that's a role the Oscars love. It's a role that the Oscars love. People have been pointing out Hong Chow as a, you know, uh, another standout besides Raisin. Harry Condon, the Banshees of Inna Sheeran. Um, I think that's just going to get a bunch of nominations. And uh, I think Harry Condon's going to come with it. I think they're going to love that film. And Dolly De Leon, I think this is going to be Triangle Sadness's only nomination, but I think it's going to be worth it. I think Neon, if they want to get somebody in, they will. They will get somebody in if they say, this is going to be our best shot of getting a nomination for a thing and being represented at the Oscars. So be it. They're going to do that. They will. And they're going to do it with Dolly De Leon. Uh, I hear, I haven't seen Triangle of Sadness, but basically in the third act of Triangle of Sadness, it becomes Dolly De Leon's movie. And she's hilarious, and she steals the show. So I think that'd be more wonderful. Again, this is open. We could see Stephanie Sue for everything everyone wants. We could see uh, Jamie Lee Curtis for some reason for everything everywhere all at once. Uh, we could see Carrie Mulgan. We could see Gene Smart for Babylon. Said he's sank for The Whale. Uh, Thusi Mabu for uh, The Woman King, Vanessa Kirby for The Sun, Janelle Monet for Glass Onion, Nina Haas for Tar. I can keep going on and on and on about possible nominees. Heck, heck, uh, where is it? Uh, Agatha Angela Bassett for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. She could get in if Wakanda Forever has enough support. Who knows? And then... I just don't feel confident about this category, Best Supporting Actor. Don't feel confident. I know about, I have confidence about who's winning. I don't feel confident about who's going to be nominated after that. Um, I have Ki Hui Kwan for Ki Hui Kwan. Ki Hui Kwan. Ki Hui Kwan for everything, everywhere, all at once. Pardon me. Um, Ben Wishaw for Women Talking, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Inishirin, and Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway. Again, this could change. This could change. Um, I think Kihu Kwan is going to win for everything everyone all wants. People love him. He's my favorite film performance of the year. My favorite performance of the year isn't eligible for the Oscars. But, um, Everybody loves him. Everybody's, he's a standout there. He's so sweet and deserving of the win. Um, ben Weeshaw, again, is one of those like, oh, yeah, we love him. They're the kind of thing in Women Talking. Um, Judd Hirsch in The Fablemans. He has like a five-minute scene, maybe one scene. He's a, it's a one-scene performance, but he's a, like scene stealer, and people love him. And this could be, again, another a nomination for him where he's like overdue and people love him. Uh, Brendan Gleeson, another overdue nomination. Some people are saying he could possibly win. 
like I might hear them out for that. Um, Mika Boss because he's overdue for again for an Oscar nomination and an Oscar win because he's such a highly respected actor in in the industry. And then Brian Tyree Henry is also overdue for a nomination. He could just squeak if Apple TV Plus want to give him a nomination, they can. He could just like squeak his way to a nomination if he wanted to. But this is pretty uh, a pretty wide open race. Next, we have uh, Women Talking for Best Adapted Screenplay. This is Best Adapted Screenplay. Women Talking, The Whale, She Said, Glass Onion, and All Quiet on the Western Front. Women Talking is winning Best Picture. That's why I have it at number one. Uh, the Whale could also get nominated because they could possibly love the film and want to show it the, the uh, love. They want to show it some love. C-Set. C-Set could get nominated there. The I hear the screenplay is solid, so it could get enough love warranted a nomination. But then after that, Field kind of becomes, again, muddy, open. Uh, Glass Onion, I think, could get in because people love Glass Onion. It's a sequel to Nice Up. I think it could get in. But then after that, we don't know for sure. The Sun maybe will have a love, enough love from the Oscars to get in. We could see uh, maybe a surprise, like Bones and all, just to show it like, oh, we care about you. The screenplay... Uh, both screenplay, original and adapted, have kind of been really cool categories. Certainly more leaning on original. Original has always been pretty cool. But uh, they could just surprise. You could surprise. I have All Quiet there because I think it's, you know, it has to get that type of nomination to get into Best Picture. So I have it there. A Top Gun Maverick could get it if they love Top Gun enough. And then finally, we have everything everywhere all at once for best original screenplay. I think that's how they're going to reward the film. Um, this is what we have for now. This is what Gold Derby has up. Once we have more categories, I'm going to give those predictions there. But for now, this is what we're going to stick with for times as well. <laughs> yeah, so there is that. So the nominees. As I said, was uh, everything everywhere at once? The Fablemans, Babylon, The Banshees, and Sheeran, and Tar. So, again, I think they're going to compensate everything everywhere at once with this original screenplay nominee. Completely deserved. Completely deserved. Fablemans, I think they're just going to show the love there for it. Babylon. So more love for Babylon. Shower with nominations. Banshees of Inisherin, don't doubt Martin McDonough at all. Don't doubt it. And I think the screenplay is also warranting that from what I hear. And then finally, a, I'm back and going back and forth. I think Tar's going to get in, having seen it, again, having seen it. Uh, but I think it's warranting of the love that it's given. I think it's warrant of the love that it's been given. Right, those are my nominations. Those are my not my nominations, my predictions for the Oscars. And as uh, we get more things for Gold Derby, I'll update you and let you guys know if anything changes next time. That I'm by myself. All right, on to our next topic.
which I am super excited to talk about, which is Not Okay versus Dear Evan Hansen versus A Hero, the exploration of the white lie in media or reason. Let's start with the oldest example, Dear Evan Hansen. For those who don't know what Dear Evan Hansen is about, Dear Evan Hansen is not like Love, Simon. Um, it is about uh, a kid, centers around a high school kid named Evan Hansen. And he is not the most mentally sound kid. He's very anxious and he's depressed. Um, and he's social, and he's awkward and he's alone. He's a lonely kid. So he's assigned by his therapist to write letters to himself. So he writes, Dear Evan Hansen. And he meets this kid named Connor. And they kind of don't get along. Um, Connor signs Evan's cast just to be, just to get his parents off his back about not being in, not being friends and not making any friends. And then, um, um, after Connor kind of bullies Evan, he finds the note that Evan wrote to himself. And he basically, like, takes offense to it. And then uh, it's found out. Uh, he takes the, the letter to himself, uh, to, to Evan, and then it's found out the next day he commits suicide. And Connor's parents think Evan was Connor's best friend, or Connor's friend. Basically. And to comfort them while he's like feeling really, really anxious, he lies to them saying, yeah, he, they were friends and they hung out together. And um, this lie uh, spreads and spreads and he keeps digging himself into this, this hole and uh, good things come out of it. He helps a lot of people. He helps himself, kind of. Um, he gets more confident a little bit. Um, good things happen, but then things spiral out of control. Once things like they, people start figuring stuff out, and people start growing suspicions, and it just doesn't end well. And then the next one we have is a hero, which is takes a similar thing. It's a simple white lie. Uh, an Iranian man finds a little who's just gotten out of like debtor's prison, um, finds a bag full of gold. And he's like, mm, he, at first he's going to take it, and then he decides against it and asks goes to a bank and basically gives it to them and says, okay, whoever takes it, uh, claim it. Uh, I don't want it anymore. And uh, everyone starts praising him for this selfless good act. And then a woman does come along to grab it and claim it. And then uh, 
his landlord or somebody he owes money to gets really suspicious and thinks it's all faked and then things go around and rumors spread and he creates some little white lies to protect his fiance um, protect some people and he just files out of control there and then we have finally the most recent not okay which is about this uh, this person this nobody who's trying to make an impact in the world who's addicted to social media like she's always on her phone um, and she decides to lie about going to Paris just so she can impress her boss and impress a guy. And then as soon as she posts that, uh, she finds out that there's a terrorist attack. And then she uses that to gain sympathy and gain followers. And then she meets some people who actually face these things. And she tries to help people and do better she becomes better for it but then people start figuring things out and everything falls apart so there's a similar threads here let's explore what dear Evan Hansen so dear Evan Hansen first off it's based on a book that was turned into a musical which was eventually turned into a movie musical for Dear and Hansen focused on uh, was um, the mental health aspect, but mostly focused on the reason why Evan was doing these things. It's because of his anxiety, and he wants to do good. But uh, he wants to do good, and he wants to do some good things, but doesn't really work out super super well for him super well for him um, and he keeps digging himself in this hole but the problem with that is that Evan's a sociopath he doesn't realize it um, he's a sociopath don't he uses the email he, what he does is he creates a bunch of fake emails to help the grieving parents to say that they were friends. He tells a lie to the sister of the dead brother. He tells a dead child's sister is basically his feelings in, um, in the guise of what Connor said about her behind her back, like in a positive way, like what he likes about her. All the things he, every, everything that Evan loves about the sister, her name is Zoe, um, basically uh, in a guise of this is what Connor loves about his sister and what he knows. Um, and he does it all for his own gain. And again, it's, at first, it's, he does it with the best intentions. He does it to spread awareness of, of, of mental health and what it means to be alone and help others. He, does, he wants to help others, 
But again, he gets so caught up in it because he's never had this amount of attention before. And again, his anxiety really spikes in this moment. Like anytime he's confronted, his anxiety spikes and he just makes a wrong, worst decision possible. He constantly makes a worst decision. Um, and if it's not going his way, if it doesn't benefit him, he, he makes the worst decision possible. And the problem there is that it, when we look at that, it, the musical tries to paint Evan in a sympathetic light. Not as much as they paint him in a sympathetic light in the movie, but they paint him in a sympathetic light when it's because of his mental issues. I say that like he's a silent painter, but because of his mental health issues, they try to excuse that, but he does get called out. But the musical also doesn't allow him to receive proper consequences for what he's done. Not like go to jail, but like, I don't know, maybe he should have gone to jail, or maybe he should have been sued. I don't know what they should have done. He definitely manipulated the family. Um, and that's a problem. It's a problem there. Um, yeah, he just doesn't receive any consequences for his actions. And it's also like a pop ballad musical. Like, it's a pop musical. So the thing is kind of... Kind of clash with each other it's like all these pop anthems or something just like really heavy and it just doesn't work it just seems like it was meant to go on the radio um i love the music but it's like whoa um sorry for spoiler about Darren Hansen. it's generally what it's about uh that's a late thing and then after that uh yeah, he get, just doesn't really receive consequences for his actions. And he's painted in a sympathetic light. And then, on the opposite end, where it doesn't paint its protagonist in a sympathetic light at all, she's completely unlikable. Uh, not okay. Not okay. Uh, she is not a good person at all. And it's very apparent. Um, she is basically a Zoomer. She's a lonely girl who is desperate for some guy's attention. He's not even a great guy. Um, she's desperate for it. And she'll do anything for likes and clout, as we like to call it. She'll do anything. She'll do anything for it. And the film recognizes this. And she takes complete advantage of this awful situation takes complete advantage of it and she continues to to exploit the the trauma of the actual victims and she continues to do all these awful things and also exploit some people who actually face trauma from like school shootings and she takes people's words who actually mean it and again she does a lot of horrible things and the film knows that, unlike Erwin Hansen, where the musical kind of doesn't know that. It acknowledges it, but it doesn't make him seem unsympathetic and like the sociopath it is. And again, going back to Erwin Hansen, the reason for that is his depression, and it's 
like he's trying to crawl out of the described depression is like trying to stop yourself from drowning and that's what he did but anyway with not okay not okay uh what she did was not okay. <laughs> but like spoilers for not okay spoilers for not okay she unlike Aaron Hansen he does face consequences for her actions she does face um she's completely ostracized she's hated on the internet for a bit um she her future looks real bleak um because of the things she did but she faces the consequences of her actions um and it, it's a great critique on how we how our generation my generation gen z and maybe even younger are have this desire to be validated by clout and likes and attention when we don't need that and what things we do to get that um it's a great critique on that and also gen z in general not like bodies about bodies but um and then finally you have the middle ground the middle ground of these two things and that's uh a hero which does it the best out of these three the guy who does this selfless act he seriously did do it as a selfless act he really meant it he meant to just i just want to return it and um the thing he lies about scores from hero is he lies about the fact that he, he said he was the one to discover when it was actually like his fiance who discovered it. The reason he lied is because he doesn't want the parents to know they're engaged at all. He doesn't want the parents to know. That's why he lied. And um, the fact that he's uh, a in debt and that infuriates uh, the person that has owed money and he just doesn't like it. He thinks it's a a way to get sympathy and make him look bad for jailing him. And the news just keeps going in, the internet, the social media thinks stuff like this is great and then it, they just turn on him as soon as these rumors come up. And then this one little white lie is exposed and everything just seems bad. Like they just can't trust them anymore. They just can't. Um, and that's why it works. Because it is genuinely a, a white lie. And it makes us question whether um, does good matter anymore? Are we all just, does everyone think everyone's a villain? Are we all doing it for narrative? for nefarious things or do we always have an ulterior motive and it kind of shames us for just lying altogether even if it is for a good cause even if it is for that so yeah I think um, Hero does it the best I suggest you guys check these all out they're all going to make you feel uncomfortable I'm sorry for spoiling it should have said that before. Uh, yeah, make sure to check all of them out. 
see how they work and you're going to be very uncomfortable. Next, we have, uh, we're going to talk about Blonde. Film has come under flack, under fire, and for good reason, too. Um, and I want to really dissect it. I want to look at it from both the good and the bad. I want to see what worked and what did How could have worked and why did so for those who don't know, Blonde is a fictional biopic or biographical film about the life of Marilyn Monroe slash Norman Jean. Everything that happens in this film is completely fictional. And it's based on a book of the same name in a similar way. And it shows Marilyn just going through a lot of awful things in a lot of misery. She is rarely ever happy. Um, often when she does feel happiness, that is crushed by something awful happening. It's crushed. Like sometimes, and there are, like, there are a couple of moments where she is happy, like where she's in a relationship with uh, two guys. Uh, at the beginning of the relationship, pretty sweet. Uh, before they like leave. Like that relationship's kind of sweet. And then some other things happen in Star Nice. It's generally a, a nice little relationship. And then she falls in love with Arthur Miller. And that is a, a generally a sweet relationship. And then she has some other things. Like when she's acting, she's really into it. She really loves it. Uh, she finds a lot of happiness in acting. Um, that's generally it. Most of the film is just her facing... A lot of awful things. And I mean a lot of an awful, awful thing. And the problem with that is that it feels exploitive and just like gratuitous, you know? And that's the one of the main problems of the film. It's also long. <laughs> it's really, really long. Uh it's gratuitous. Like there's a lot of things and a lot of gratuitous nudity. Like this was rated NC-17. It is probably the most tame NC-17 that I I would have ever expected to see. It's not what I thought it was going to be like, especially with the people talking about it. It's like, oh, I'm like this is the tamest NC-17 film I think I'm going to ever see. I think it could have been a hard R, but it is probably the most tamest famous NC-17 film ever. So there's that. It, it feels in, in the, it's exploitive because it's a falsification of a real person's life. Some really awful things that never happen. Like, never happen. And Marilyn Monroe does things that never happen. She says things that never happen. Um, So, and uh, again, speaking of that, that is the main issue. It is a falsification of a woman's life. Probably already had a hard life, but for different reasons as to why. She did. And it, again, it never keeps saying that again. And there is no 
levity. There isn't much levity. There's levity, but it's not enough. If you guys don't know, this is what didn't work. There's enough levity for this film. I was expecting darkness, but there just isn't enough. It's um, a bit self-indulgent at times. It's odd with the way it uses his aspect ratio and changing from black and white. Um, the fact that it is, I'm repeating myself, but the fact that it is a falsification, uh, a fictionalized version of a real person's life, that is the issue that we should look at. Whenever I got to that. Um, and the fact, problem, another problem to add on to that, the reason why it's a problem, the reason why it's a problem, is because a woman can't defend herself. She can't. And the film doesn't let us know that this is a falsification. Unless you read the description, and you know that it's going on, uh, going in, that it's fictional. You don't know. You think this is real. You think this is just, uh, you think she's just living a really sad life when she didn't, according to some sources. And maybe her own autobiographical. I've read. But it's just not better, and it, again, feels wrong. Let's look at what did work. Um, which was, I think, Anna de Animas was an incredible Marilyn Monroe, one of the best performances of the year, without a doubt in my mind. Um, she's perfect. She looks the part. She sounds the part. Even when her accent would slip, I think it worked to what the type of story Andrew Dominic was trying to tell. Oh, also, another thing that didn't work, Andrew Dominic's uh, direction was a bit too cold. Too cold, which again leads into there's not much love. Um, Anna de Amis is incredible. She's mesmerizing. You can't, you can't take your eyes off her. She's perfect for Marilyn Monroe. She's perfect. She's perfect. Uh, the acting, again, it's an Andrew Dominic film. He knows how to direct his actors. You know you're going to get great performances out of uh, the people on screen. He does. He does. Um, I think there are some awesome and intriguing editing choices. There's this one transition that made me like laugh out loud. It was both hilarious and like really awesome. Um, this this is the most beautiful looking film of the year. Uh, as soon as I try to figure out what Interdominic was going for, it really, really worked. He recreated all these iconic images of Marilyn Monroe. And sometimes when also like when he recreates the films, you just think you're watching the original film. It's uncanny. It's incredible, such an incredible attention detail. And again, he just with the cinematography he recreates all these images and images like uh, what you'd expect. And I, uh, it's a technically sound film. It is a technically sound 
uh, film, for sure. And the concept behind Blonde um, is an interesting one, and I think deserves to be talked about. And that's how we're going to fix it. So, instead of being a fictionalized biopic of Marilyn Monroe, concept behind Blonde is to look at a star from that area and talk about the injustice, not the injustice, cruel world and the cruel industry that Hollywood was back then. So that's the concept Blonde. And to see how, um, how objectified and how their liberties and identities are taken away from the machine, the Hollywood machine. In the public eye, they were reduced to an idea and a mental image in their heads, the public's heads and Hollywood's heads. That's the idea of Blonde. That's the concept of Blonde. And if we mold that concept, then we can have something really special here and have an actual important story to tell um, that won't shy away like Blonde did, maybe not as a gratuitous, Blonde was, but tell an important story. Um, and I think that's going to be the goal here, and that's what I'm going to do. So for Blonde, instead of using Marilyn Monroe, we're going to have a Marilyn Monroe-like figure. We're going to give her a different name. So this is not Marilyn Monroe. I promise, this is not Marilyn Monroe. We're going to make her like Marilyn Monroe. We're going to make her blonde. We're going to make her, she's going to be beautiful. She is going to be the most, the, she's going to be basically a sex symbol. And she's going to follow a very similar story to Marilyn Monroe. Very similar story to who Marilyn Monroe was. Heck, maybe the exact same story that happened here in Blonde. But instead of that, we're going to look at the exploitation of, of women in that time. We're going to look at how some women got their start in the most cruel, vague, disgusting way possible. We're going to look at that way. I mean, that's how she gets her start. And then she's going to catch people's attention. And she's going to star in a bunch of all these, these classic movies. Again, not based on many real movies. Similar to movies that Marilyn Monroe starred in. Or maybe just the movies around that time. And we're gonna recreate that. We're gonna recreate that. But during this time, um, this Marilyn Monroe-like figure, she will be just like Marilyn Monroe in this film will have been doing. Uh, she'll be using a different name. She's not gonna use her original. She's gonna use a stage name, an actor's name, you know. And her original identity is going to be stripped away by Hollywood and these production studios, these studios. Her original identity is going to slowly, slowly be taken away from her because that's what the studios want, that's what the public wants. Her, her, her liberty and her identity is going to be taken away. It's going to show how cruel the system was, the industry was at that time.
and we're going to feel sympathy for her. And she's going to go from relationship to relationship, just like Marilyn was in the, in the film. She's going to be um, uh, going from relationship to relationship, looking for her father. She's not going to call the men daddy. She's not going to do that. That was way too on the nose, and it's kind of, kind of awkward and creepy. Um, man, she's going to look for aspects in them for her father. And um, keep men are just not going to treat her right. They're going to again treat her as like a, she's going to be kind of reduced to, to nothing but an idea. She's not going to be a person to these men. But we are going to have some brevity. We're going to see her like sing in the recording studio and she's going to be so happy about it. We're going to see her like act on stage and people are going to like compliment her. Like, maybe some men are going to get too close. We're going to see some like women talk to her. And we're going to see her like participate in like feminism, like women's rights and stuff like that. We're going to see some bright moments, some things. We're going to see some sides of her, like she's, but it's oftentimes, oftentimes she will be crushed and brought down. It's still going to be a depressing film. It's still going to be a crushing film, but not as debilitating as Blonde was. There is going to be some levity here. But the idea that her identity is being taken away for this, for this machine horrifying and it's going to be more of a psychological horror film rather than a it is a fictional biopic but it's more of a horror film and a look at that is how you make blonde work i still think again it won't be as excessive as blonde it won't be as excessive i wouldn't want it's still going to be like a hard art be a hard R. Um, to confront those those things, those issues. But it's gonna be based more in truth and will be a compilation of many stories. Uh, maybe that's not true because it's a fictional, but generally things that happen at that. That is the goal. That is the goal. In my opinion, that's how you fix. Alrighty. Now we have some films to review. This won't be as heavy <laughs> compared to that. It won't be as, as heavy. So we're going to start off. I basically went back in time. I visited the previous decade. And I watched some films. That I missed. So... I'm not going to go over all of them. I'm going to go over the ones where it's like, like the notable ones. <clears throat> like it's basically you guys going to be like, I apologize for the young. You guys are going to be like, you didn't watch that? How do you not see that? So it's going to be like that. <laughs> basically, those are the films. I'm not going to do all I've, that I've watched. The ones that are basically like, oh my gosh, you haven't seen that yet? So... First up, we have Mad Max Fury Road. Um, this is just a perfect film. I'm so glad it lived up to the hype. It is probably the best 
action film of the 21st century, in my opinion. It is the best action film of the 21st century. It is high-octane, adrenaline-filled, uh, just, it's depths on the gas. This isn't like a pun intended or, or like a phrase because it's a car chase film. It just steps on the gas. It does not stop. It does not stop. Um, it just there's not much room for filler. And if there is a slower moment, um, it is an emotional moment. I mean, I don't feel anything, but a character feels. Or it slows down because a character is trying to figure something out, and then immediately the action it goes right back in the action. It is just one long action scene from action set piece to action set piece um, and it's astounding it's astounding it is a master class in, in the direction and the score and the sound design the visual effects it's the mixture of visual, practical visual effects and, and CGI is incredible and the acting's incredible um, usually a lot of stuff is done with the, with the, uh, with the eyes, like Charlize Theron and Tom Hardy both use their eyes in, in, in really, really great ways. It's a beautiful looking film. Uh, the costumes are amazing. The makeup's amazing. Um, the, the world building, it's so immersive and it just keeps you locked in for the whole time. Keeps you locked in for the whole freaking time. It's a beautiful work of art. And it's a perfect. It's the first time I've gotten to say that in a long time. After that, I watched American Sniper. This is possibly the worst film I've seen a bit. Um, it's not because of politics. Um, like, I support the military. Totally, totally completely. But it was just so unashamed about it, and it just didn't. I wanted more gray. I really did. I mean, the film was gray. It was not good to look at. I like how sometimes it would like be unashamed about like stuff hitting stuff, but it was so like like afraid to say the military did some bad things. He was so afraid to say the military, it was just like the terrorists are all the bad guys. Like maybe, I guess, it's from Chris Kyle's point of view. But even then, in Chris Kyle's book, he did some not good things. Like not just like kill kids and stuff. Like he just did some not generally not good things. Like I'm not talking about like he's a baby killer. Like what some people that aren't on the right <laughs> would say. He killed babies. And he like killed kids because like stop like no he well he did but it's not like just you know like he's merciless no 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 it just like didn't show the America as the bad guys at all and it rarely gave uh, the um, the Middle Eastern people it rarely showed them as other than being terrorists or helping out terrorists. It rarely did. And even when they did, they were like killed in like very savage fashion. 
We were just like one family, and they were killed in the worst ways possible. Just to promote that. Um, it does also have some of the worst CGI blood I have ever seen in like a multi-million dollar film, Hollywood film. It is, I'm like, it was baffling. I'm like, this was made, this is a $39 million budget. No, sorry, $54 million budget. And you can't have practical blood. Like, it was terrible. I've seen better CGI blood effects on in YouTube videos. I've seen that done better in YouTube videos. It was it was awful. And the acting was okay. But the acting's okay. There's no tension. There's not, not much there's not much tension. It's just I felt so numb watching this. I just felt so numb. Like if you love it, great. It's Clint Eastwood's worst film. After that, we have Skyfall. And this is so good. This is so good. It's my favorite Bond film. It might even be the best Bond film. Who's to say? But it's it doesn't waste time being a Bond film. It like literally skips the iconic opening of Bond like shooting the camera skips that and I'm like as soon as it did that I'm like oh so this is different okay and it was it was um the the plot was interesting for the first time I was really engaged with the plot like in spy movies like this, I'm like, eh, I could care less. But it was engaged with the plot. The villain was amazing. Javier Bardem is incredible. Judy Dench is incredible. Daniel, uh, Daniel Craig. There we go. Daniel Craig is incredible. The action scenes are amazing. It's shot beautifully by Roger Deakins. The action scenes are so great. Um. And there's so, there's a lot of intrigue. You're genuinely curious about how this goes, even though I kind of knew about who the villain was and maybe some twists. I was so intrigued. I just couldn't stop watching it. It's an incredible film, an incredible action film, incredible Bond film. It's just a great film overall. And then I watched The Untouchables, which is the original French film. It was made into an English film called The Upside with uh, Kevin uh, I feel so bad uh, Brian Cranston and, and um, Kevin Kevin Hart sorry Kevin Hart um, but yeah this was funny it was sweet um, Generally, it was more of a comedy. It was based on true story. It was just sweet. I love their friendship. I love how they work together. It's just a sweet film. It's a really sweet film. And then I watched True Grit, the remake. I didn't watch the original. I watched the one with Jeff Bridges and Haley Steinfeld and Matt Damon and uh, uh, 
sorry, Josh Brolin. Um, and I love this. Again, I love this. Like, it was a, basically a Western in modern times. It was a Western made in the 2010s. Like, it had all the elements of an old Western. Not like a spaghetti Western, but like a Western, like a John Wayne Western. And it was so lovely. It was funny. It was action-packed. Um, it was shot so well. The acting was amazing. I Yes, it's like Jeff Bridges doing his grumpy old cowboy. But it's worth it here. Like his acting with his eyes is incredible. He did so much with his eyes. And he's such a sad character, too. Like his character's so sad. Like he, I see so sad for a lot of things, but it's a sad, it's a very sad character. Uh, Haley Steinfeld is probably her performance here is one of the best ever for a child actor. Um, she really showed her potential. And then Matt Damon's hilarious. Matt Damon's hilarious. And then when Josh Brown comes on screen, he's like an old-fashioned, old-fashioned villain. He's an old-fashioned villain. It's just a wonderful film. A wonderful film. I would have loved it when I wa if I watched it in 2010. I would have loved it. And then I rewatched for the final thing. I rewatched the Last Jedi. Well, it still has some problems. Still has some problems. Um, I love it now. I do. I do. I know. I know. For those who've gotten far in this podcast, I love it now. I think it is a sure Star Wars film. It is what the franchise needs. It, it has some honest things about letting go of the past and moving forward and um, looking at our heroes. It is, um, there's hope there. It's asking us to look forward to these new heroes. It's asking us to not be nostalgic and um, face the facts, but also the fact that anybody can be a Jedi. Anybody can provide hope to the galaxy. Anybody can do that. Um, it's a beautifully shot Star Wars movie. It's, it's probably the best shot. It probably is. Um, I, Luke's has an excellent conclusion the, the series of who he is um, but still has his thoughts still has his thoughts um, Rose is still an awfully written character I don't like Rose at all I still don't like her the actress is great I think the actress does a wonderful job. I just don't like the point of. I kind of got the point of the when they went to the casino, like war, but it was basically very surface level. It's just like war's bad, and like, yes, we know. Um, but again, it also is used to reinforce that 
a thing that Brian uh, Ryan Johnson brings is like there's a gray area to the force. Um, that so there is that there is that. Yeah, I think I think it's an important rewatch that I had, uh, but again, it's still got its problems. Still got its problems. So that's everything. That's about everything for this week. Um, for right now, next week, I'm going to be bringing on uh, a guest. Finally, I am excited for that talk with him. I'm excited to talk about the topics that I'm going to have. Uh, guests are always fun. But after that, I'm going to be by myself. I might bring another guest on. And that looks to be it. So, yeah. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and if you did, be sure to be on the lookout for more episodes in the future. I think we're done here. So please, step out of my office. <laughs>